Hello and welcome to a special and bumper edition of the Racist Formula E podcast as we look back on the 2021 season and what was nothing short of an absolute thriller. Controversy, unpredictability and a catalogue of incidents were just three of the key ingredients in a season that kept us guessing exactly who was going to be triumphant right up until the final moments. Nick DeVries, who appeared on this podcast uh, last month, I think, ultimately won out. But for now, we'll settle for another highly decorated hero, albeit one who has a dubious accolade of sharing a small cupboard with Jack Nichols. Is, of course, three-time Indy 500 winner, friend of the show, and Formula E expert, Dario Franchitti. Dario, welcome to the podcast. How are we? I think, you know, we're in this nice period now of uh, waiting for it all to start again. Yeah, apparently it's almost, uh, it's just under 100 days now, isn't it, to, uh, to the first race in Saudi. It's like counting down to Christmas. Uh, and joining me, Andrew Vandenberg, to try and pick apart a complex and absorbing season is the race's Formula E writer, Sam Smith, who has just completed his seventh season in the madhouse that is the ABB FIA Formula E paddock. As you all know, we like to juggle the format around a fair bit on this podcast, uh, but we're not going to be too radical today. Uh, we'll take it team by team to mirror our season preview back in February, which seems like a very long time ago now, Sam. Um, that was when it was me, Sam, and Gary Paffitt, uh, who completely failed to predict what was going to happen uh, in the season ahead. So, um, as everybody knows, one of the more unpredictable uh, Formula E seasons. So, Dario, if you have to sum it up in one sentence, what would it be? I was told I had to sum it up in three words, so I came up with three words. Oh well, I, I have slightly deviated <laughs> off script there because I thought three words is a bit too hard. But if you if you plan three words, then go for it. I mean, you've used one already: unpredictable, um, exciting, and then the, the last word was just madness. There was points of utter madness during the season, and uh, I think it made for very uh, absorb absorbing viewing, despite Jack and I's uh, commentary, I guess. <laughs> Sam. Um, the first word's disorientating because I just thought that you didn't know what was going to come next. It was just completely disorientating. Uh, polemic or polemical or political, uh, three three words in one. Um, Formery always seems to have that strand running through it, and this year there was a whole whole load of that. And and the final one is newsworthy, uh, which obviously was very good for us. As always, I've not taken this quite as seriously as you have there, Sam. And I'm not even sure that these are three words that mean anything to people outside of our generation. But I'm going for uh, fan dabby dozy. And on on that note for the uh, Gen Zs, uh, if you're still with us, uh, listen on. Right, so it's time to start in the uh, championship in reverse order. It was Neo 333 took the wooden spoon again, although there was more respectable performance-wise than they had been in the previous season. Dario, did you see some shoots of recovery there? And what did you make of uh, Turby and Blomqvist's performance? Yeah, I did see shoots of recovery. Um, and when you actually, when you look at it from the, from the outside, even in the paddock, just looking into the garage, you wonder, what's going on? Why? Why? Why at the back all the time? And it, certainly watching it on TV, you think, oh, you know, you have that same question, maybe more so. Then you talk to people on the team and you realise how hard they work and how small the team is and how small their budget is relative to the other people. And you see how they're just, they're absolutely flat out trying to do their best. And um, you know, there were some definite moments there where I thought, okay, yeah, they're starting to, they're starting to get close. You know, obviously Turvey, um, I'm looking down at my notes here, Turvey had that sixth place early in the season, which, 
uh, at Saudi. But I think with Blomquist, he had the first teammate that I'd really seen him, that, that was challenging him week in, week out. And Blomquist did some cracking qualified performances towards the, the end of the season. Um, so it's that old thing, isn't it? How, how fast do you want to go? How much do you want to spend? And uh, they, I think they just don't have enough money and therefore people at the moment to uh, to challenge the big boys. Sam Barrio mentioned that Blomqvist, the first teammate the Turvey's really had that's put him under consistent pressure. It's been a bit of a revolving door, that second seat there next to him. What did you make of how he adapted to that situation? I thought Tom did a really good job, actually. If you look at his qualifying stats, he was slightly better than, than Turvey, uh, and he peaked with that fourth-place grid start in Valencia, and then he had a brilliant Berlin as well and managed to grab a point. I, he had some really rotten luck as well. I mean, didn't everyone during the season? But I think in terms of what he brought to the team, as Dario said, it was just a little bit more solid compared to some of the, the previous number two drivers in, in that team. I mean, Neo, the, the areas that they're deficient in are primarily the, the software side, and, and they need more people and they need more expertise uh, and the drivers tell you that pretty openly and, and some of the team do too I think they absolutely you know they should do absolutely everything to keep Blomqvist next season I think Turvey's got a contract I don't see why they would choose another driver in that second seat I think he did more than enough to keep it so like many drivers he'll be I think he'll be in the mix for a top hypercar or LMDH seat in 23 so from his career perspective, it might work out quite nicely to do another season next year, even though they have a set homologation and you can't see, you know, you can't see Neo making a big step up, say, into the top 10, but you can see them improving, you know, step by step again to, to hopefully get more points than they did in 21. Has their sort of opportunity to shine, though, not necessarily passed by, but was the way that the old qualifying format, as we can now call it, was almost there to benefit them because they were always going to be in the, the ideal group. Now that we've got this new format, are they going to struggle to run at the front again if they do have a pace deficiency? I think yes and no. I think on paper, probably yes. Um, but, you know, when you look at the one-lap pace of of occasionally Blomqvist and, and Turvey, but actually the team we're going to go on to next in Penske, uh, Dragon Penske, set a camera proved that over a one-lap effort, he can get right into the you know, right into the mix. Therefore, it's still possible, but they have got more hurdles to get through to get through to the to the top, you know, what's going to be the semi-finals, so I'd say the top four. Um, so I think actually it's probably going to be a little trickier. I know that the, the smaller teams, let's call them, um, or the teams that finish lower down the ultimate points table, didn't fancy these changes as much as the uncertainty of the, the previous format. So... It'd be interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, I think it will be slightly trickier for them to get into the top positions, but you know, who knows if they concentrate on their one lap pace and they have a real, a real, um, you know, real epic driver like Sete Camera, then it's possible. As I mentioned, Dario, um, Dragon Penske is up next. They're uh, possibly the biggest enigma in the paddock for me. There seems to be a bit of a revolving door. So second time I've used that phrase, I, I need to work on my uh, vocabulary here, um, of technical staff at the background. Um, yet occasionally, really competitive cars, albeit ones that tend to uh, guzzle up their energy. Um, but they can also put together a, a, a 
decent run every now and again, as we saw with Sete Cameron occasions. So what did you make of that dragon season? Yeah, I'll leave Sam to cover the, the sort of the politics and the the lack of communication to the to the outside world, maybe, that um, that he's talked about before. But I mean, Seti Camera is a great addition to the series. He was so outgoing and he had some really mega sort of qualifying laps. He had, let's go back again to that one race in Saudi, which they qualified at the front and we all sort of said, oh, you know, five laps, they'll be at the back. And he finished fourth. So, yeah, he he's, I think he did a great job every Every time he was on screen, you thought, "Oh, what's going to happen?" Because he he just he was always on the tightrope, wasn't he? He was always on over the limit of the car. Great to watch, um, yeah. And like I say, a good addition to the series. Joel Erickson, yeah, he had a tough, he had a tough season there coming in. Uh, didn't have those flashes that maybe the the Seti camera had, um, or Nico Mueller before him in the car. Dragon was a weird one because we're one of those people we said, oh, they've got a Bosch powertrain coming in. This is going to be, wow, wait for this. And it didn't really happen. If anything, it might have been a slight step backwards uh, because they weren't, not because of the powertrain, but I get the impression that they, they, they hadn't got all the systems up and running by the time it was launched. So um, I think there's more potential in that powertrain for, for next season. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was another tough, another tough year in general for the Dragon Penske guys. Sam, um, this is, might be your little uh, time to get on your little hobby horse here. So we'll 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 just let you go with the uh, the, the world of lovely communications that is uh, Dragon Penske Autosport. Well, <laughs> I mean, firstly, I think it's important to to realise that there are some really top people working at, at Dragon Penske. I mean, you know, any any criticisms that are fired at at um, at them isn't directed at the, the people there because they're very fine people working there. They know themselves, I think, as a team that things could be much better. Um, and I'm talking about the, the sort of the overall management of it. it. It just hasn't really changed in the last few years. And they've had different suppliers for their for their tech, for their powertrain. And, you know, the, the one thing that runs through it is that they that, you know, they're generally always at the back. I mean, it's season one, two. It seemed to begin in in season three, this malaise when the Faraday future experiment didn't work. And they, they've never really recovered from that. Um, they've got a catalogue of things to sort out there. Most of them management and, and organisation, I think, with the team. They Yes, you know, they showed flashes of promise, but it was usually in one lap qualifying, and, and Dario's sort of evidenced how great Sete Camera was when he um, when he kept it on the, the black stuff. And, you know, it, it, I, I think he's got real potential to, to do great things in Formulary, and he's a major asset for the team. On, on the... On the enigmatic side of the team, which you mentioned at the top there, yes, we, we don't know what the we don't know what the whole um, the, the what the plan is for Dragon Penske. You know, Jay doesn't generally talk to to media, which is quite ironic because that's his line of business. But you know, that's his prerogative, really. And and I think it's just if if they came out and said, "This is what we want to do. This is what we want to achieve with Bosch." This is why we're in Formula E. Instead of, you know, just sort of coasting around generally at the back, then I think people would cut them a bit more slack. But you know that isn't forthcoming. And and, and the point being that in a world championship, I just don't personally. I don't. I don't think that's really good enough. Um, so yeah, a lot of things to to really 
look at for the team. And, you know, from what you hear, um, several, again, several engineers and personnel have left the team um, and that the recruitment's been slow again. So it's, it's a cycle. And it's just another cycle that they'll go through and they'll come to Valencia, everything will be scrambled. And then, you know, probably the same situation will play out again uh, next season. For anyone that's been following Formula E from the beginning, seeing Nissan Edams at 10th in the championship just does beggars belief, really. This is the, the team in the generation one of uh, under the Renault guys really dominated the series. OK, they didn't win every championship, but there was a, a trail of bad luck or... Um, poor choices that maybe led to a couple of those championships being lost but they Dario they seem to have lost their way over the last couple of seasons and Sebastian Boemi in particular who you would have said on paper was along with Degrassi the quickest driver in the series in the, in, in its first iteration he was basically nowhere yeah I think the first thing to say on that is Sebastian Boemi isn't slow uh, <laughs> just you know I look his championship finishing position and he is 21st that's just incredible. But then you look at the you look at the amount of uh, DNS and disqualifications as much as anything. It was very bizarre from from that point of view. Um, Buemi seemed to have that sort of ability this year when something went wrong. It was normally involved in him. So yeah, horrendous season for him. Oliver Rowland, great qualifying average again. Um, Got on the podium, but ah, it wasn't like wow. You know, I expect I did expect great things from them. You always do. I mean, Dam's running the operation. The people they've got, the drivers they've got. Nissan there, as you say, the record in Formula E, and it just didn't come together. I think Sam's got a a bit of insight into the an issue with the powertrain um, that that uh, we can chat about, but it, it was difficult to watch at times. You said there was sort of that different form a couple of years ago. That sort of almost coincided um, with Jean-Paul Drio um, sort of passing away. And I, you know, I, with guys like Francois Sicard running the team, who is spot on, he's a proper racing person, proper operator. Um, but you sometimes get the impression they're missing that just just the the presence of of Jean Paul in 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 the team. Jean Paul could be a bit of a force of nature, couldn't he? I mean, remember that uh, race in Montreal where all that was going. I mean, he he almost sort of dragged that car onto the grid himself, you know, after uh, Boemi's um, uh, crash there. And and I, you, you can't replace those people because they are they are unique, aren't they? It's a good point. He's one of those. He was one of those larger than life characters. Um, so yeah, so just a massive surprise this year. From the Nissan Edams guys, um, and I, I, I hope for better for for the for Tommaso Volpe for the whole outfit going into next season. Sam Dario alluded to your insight into the to the powertrain. There is is it just as simple as that? Was it just something ultimately missing in the? No, it was it was quite intricate actually. I only found out about it in um, in London, and then a bit more in Berlin. I asked um, Buemi about it, and he he wasn't particularly explicit on it as you'd expect. I mean, it was obvious that there was some issue. However, we're not sure really how great or small it was, but it certainly affected the uh, application of of the car when it was running. Uh, I I've heard rumours that it was some kind of oscillation, um, which was disturbing. The, the the car the performance of the car and 
particularly the the tires and the vehicle dynamics um whether that came from you know it's highly likely that it came from some aspect of the powertrain and don't forget they went for the slot two homologation which meant that they they should have actually debuted the car in i think it was rome but then it didn't come on stream until monaco um because of some supply chain delays there so they were kind of already slightly on the back foot and then it just yeah it just never came together did it i think dario touched on on buemi you know it's uh he hasn't become less of a driver all of a sudden i mean that's for sure 21st as dario said it's just not representative of where he is he's he's only 32 years of age he seems to have been around forever but he's you know he's not 33 until later this month so he's in his prime i think one thing that i kind of thought about and I, you know he wouldn't really discuss but partly potentially circumstance of having to develop the new Toyota hypercar um, and all that entails just came at the wrong time, potentially. Remember, a lot of that testing was taking place between January and April of this year in readiness for when the work started in May. And I just feel that as this Formula E season was kicking off, maybe it was all a, a bit too much. I don't know. Only Seb knows that. But, you know, that certainly doesn't paint the whole picture for the season. It was a, a combination of the, the issues they had with the car um, you know, uh, th- bad luck. I mean, Seb should have been on the f- probably the front row of the grid at Monaco, but got scuppered on his fast lap by Sete Camera crashing at uh, Raska. So there was a few of those things for Seb. But yeah, I mean, he did admit himself that he, he had made some mistakes and, and, and wasn't quite on top form this year. But I think he's, uh, we, we touched on this in the last episode, didn't we, that I think he's done so much, he's brought so much to this team over the years that he's not entitled because you're never entitled to have a bad season, but you can cut him more slack than, than some other drivers, I guess, in terms of um, not having a great points all this season. I kept expecting though, because of his poor position in the championship, there would be one weekend where it just clicked. He turned uh, a decent performance in Q4, put it on pole and won the race. And it just, not only did it not happen, it never looked like happening. There never seemed to be that, Eureka moment where all of a sudden old Seb's back and he's and he's wolfed off and he's won the race by eight seconds or something. I was in exactly the same boat, Andrew. Every time I sat in the comms booth at the start of a weekend, I thought, right, here we go. You know, he's in group four. It's all going to come together. Oh, it hasn't again. And now you see, you just every weekend you're expecting it. And for whatever reason, it didn't click. Talking of uh, great expectations, uh, the start of the season, I think many people were tipping uh, Mahindra to be dark horses. I think if we go back and listen to our pre-season podcast, I might have been one of them. Um, the deal with ZF and the driver lineup there uh, all pointed in the right direction. Um, but Dario never really seemed to click for them either. No, and uh, you know, I I sort of I have to put my hand up. First of all, I, I manage Alex Lynn, so. I've sort of I've got a bit bit of a vested interest in 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 this and um um I I think the powertrain was actually very good um it might have had something more to do with the way the chassis used its tires and is, is where some of the pace went but there were some very strong moments from from both drivers um you know qualifying I think Alex had the clearly the measure on Alexander um all season really uh, but. Alexander had some cracking moments. Uh, Rome, his drive in Rome was in the, in the tough conditions was incredible. And then it was Mexico. I don't think he'd actually done a lap in practice. And he pulled this qualifying lap out. And that was, I think that showed the, the quality of, 
of the driver, and he's just a good guy. I, you know, Alexander Sims is just cool. I like him a lot. Um, but I think he'd be, you know, personality aside, I think he'd be very disappointed with uh, with the way that season went. Lots of lots of DNFs. Um, you know, Alex Lynn. He it was looking really good at the start, and then he had that horrendous shunt uh, in Saudi. I put him back a bit actually. Um, and then it all started to, you know, Valencia looking like he's going to win, gets hit by Norman Nato, got spun back to third. But then London, it all came together, didn't it? You know, it was just a, a fantastic weekend, a podium, a pole position, and then winning the, the last race. So, um, yeah, that was, a, I don't, I think the team will be very disappointed with the, with the championship finishing position. Um, and they definitely, uh, I was, I was expecting more from, from the inside and, and the outside. Sam, like me, you had predicted that Mahindra would win, which ultimately they did. But as Dario said, the overall position in the championship probably was a long way off of their expectations. He's mentioned that he's Lynn's manager, so we'll save him from having to comment on this. But by mid-season, uh, Dilbag Gill had already pulled the trigger and uh, announced that he was bringing Oliver Rowland in for next season. What did you make of the the machinations of, of their movements in the driver market there? Yeah, it's a very good question, isn't it? And I think it's one you you know you have to fire at uh, a dillbag on that. But I mean, ultimately, the the answer is quite simple. He he fancied Roland, and he wanted to get Oliver Roland into the team. Um, but I think the surprising aspect of it for me, anyway, and I'm sure I'm sure Dario was the that how soon in the season he he wanted to do that and achieve that. Um, and with Alexander Sims on a on a, a presumed two year deal. Um, there just wasn't any place for for Alex. Now, when when you look at it like that, it, you know it, it, it seems simple. When you try and add reason and sense to it in light of what Alex Lynn achieved last season, then um, you know you, you come up against a bit of a bit of a mental brick wall, really, don't you? So, I don't think there's much more to be said on it. It was obviously a decision taken by the management, the manager of the of the operation, um, and. And ultimately, only he knows why he had to do that so early. Um, as for the two drivers, I thought they were they were both great last season. I thought they did a really, really good job. I think Alexander Sims had a few deeper troughs in the season than than Alex Lynn. And don't forget that pretty much every driver had a trough of some description during the season. It was just the nature of twenty twenty one Formula E racing. Um, I think Alex Alex Lynn certainly had the edge in in qualifying through the season. He's pretty sensational. Nine top 10 starts, seven Super Pole appearances and, and the third best average starting position of, of just, I think 8.9 was what his average starting position was, which was very decent in 2021. So yeah, he can feel very hard done by in terms of not being retained by the team. <clears throat> and I think when you add that to his experience at Jaguar and overall his performances, let's leave the, the first season with Virgin aside, because it was his rookie campaign in the fourth year of that iteration of of of, uh, of design, the, the Gen One car. I think you've got to, you know, cut him some slack for that. I think, uh, yeah, you know, he's he's gone to sports cars now, uh, but I I just feel that um, I'm sure it doesn't feel like it now for Alex. But I think you know he's got, I wouldn't call it unfinished business, but and and not and nothing really to prove. You know, he's he's proved that he can win and he can convert good chances. So. But I just think that what is he now? He's only twenty seven or twenty eight, maybe later this year. 
he has got still got a future in Formula E somewhere down the line. Um, and I think there'd be several teams, you know, embracing him with open arms if if that uh, if that decision is taken in the next few years. Now, Dario, you mentioned disqualifications when we were talking about Bohemia earlier. Nothing applies more to looking back at Porsche's season than that. I don't think I've ever seen a campaign quite so blighted by it. You know, that I don't when they, when they were first announced they were coming in, there was a general feeling of hysteria in the paddock that they were going to somehow steamroller it. The great they would be bringing everything with them. It'd be an F one style budget, and the 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 championship uh, would be a, a spending war. I mean, there might be that Merck did that, but Porsche. It's not really coming together there, is it? It has to be said, the difference between success and failure in any racing series is minuscule. And I think in Formula E, it's even smaller because of the qualifying format, because of the way that the energy consumption works in the race and stuff, and the work that goes in. I think we have to say that. The work that goes in before you even get to the circuit in terms of simulated time, efficiencies, all that stuff, all the stuff the drivers are practicing. I think it's something like eight days in the sim for every day on track these guys are doing. So it's pretty, you know, that's all behind the scenes stuff. Porsche, I mean, I thought at times this year, Pascal Verline was was really on it. And Mexico, I mean, what to say about Mexico? That was an absolute own goal from the FIA. Absolutely. And, you know, a rule book should be written to basically to stop cheating, to keep everybody in line. It seemed that the way that the, that the rule book has been written for, for the FA have written this rule book is to catch people out. Why would you let a driver do the whole race? You know, putting himself at risk during the whole race and then right at the end go, oh, by the way, you're disqualified. What would happen if he'd had a big crash? I mean, it, Or taken out other cars and other drivers. Yeah, it, it, it just, that, that whole thing was, was utter madness. And, um, I really felt for Porsche. Um, you know, Mill Lindsay, that's uh, you always see him on TV, the big the big Kiwi guy. I thought, oh, he could kick off here. And it would have been rightly so, because yeah, that was that was really bad. Um Andre Lotterer, just a oh, just a tough, tough season. And I, I'm a big fan of Andre. I mean, we were at Goodwood at the weekend playing about in GT forties and he's he's mighty in whatever he gets in. He loves driving cars. His the smile on his face after he after that GT40 race, he just adores driving cars. So his season was blighted by um, just making mistakes, pushing it too far at times with racecraft. You know, getting a bit too aggressive at times, and uh, you know that it just it didn't click. And um, I almost expected him actually to go off and, and start testing the LMDH car for Porsche. That's how how tough his season was. So he's staying around and I really hope he gets a big bounce back next year because he's a, he's a proper operator and he's a, and he's a class driver. Sam, how do you think Porsche will, will respond to these disappointments? Is, is this just going to spur them on and are we going to see, you know, a big turnaround here now? Yeah, I think, I think you will. Um, the funny thing with Verline is that occasionally he looks completely unbeatable. I mean, we saw him at Puebla. Nobody else was going to win that race. I mean, he was just on it from start to finish. And then, you know, the next race, he can just look... Uh, he can look a little bit desperate and careless. And what you've got to remember is, as well, this is his first season with Porsche. Um, and he, he outperformed Lotterer this season, no doubt about it. But he was still involved in quite quite a few shunts. And 
Of course, you know, he was massively hard done by in Puebla, but there were other races where he should have been challenging for a win, I thought, um, this season, but just kind of faded to sixth, seventh, fifth, wherever. Having said that, I, I reckon, and, you know, you, I'm, you're going to crucify me for this at some stage in the next um, sort of six months. I reckon Verline is a favourite for the title next season. I think that if Porto... Oh, has gone early. Early on next season prediction. That is bold. Yeah, before Christmas. I told Controversial you. Controversial sniffer. I, I, I think that if Porsche improve aspects of their software package and over, overall package and they get more, more of a grip on race strategies, because when Lotter and Verline were running together this year, they did the whole, you know, DS to Cheetah thing, or they tried to, and it just didn't work for them. If, if Verline really gets on top of that team, and the indications are that, that he is... And that that Lotterer, you know, spent most of the season hitting somebody. If that continues, then Verline, I think, can become a real threat. And I think that the qualifying format change will be right up Verline's Strasser next season. I think that will be a real godsend to him because he is very, very good at qualifying. He was the top average qualifier last season. Um it's now just converting what what he does into into the race, which is easier said than done with with everything that goes in part and parcel of, of race strategies and Formula E. But I think Porsche will come back really strong next season. They weren't terrible this season, but much more was expected in twenty twenty one. You know that that win, which should have been Puebla, um, you know, isn't in the the record books now. That'll hurt them. Um, but yeah, I mean, Porsche not winning during any given season of anything competitive is you know it's a wounded animal so yeah I, I would my, my my advice to the rest would be uh, watch out for them next season now so far as you would imagine it's been a tale of woe of teams that have sort of underperformed or disappointed but now a positive story with Venturi having its best ever season both in terms of points wise and scoring two wins um, Mortaro in Puebla and then Norman Nato ending the season with a great win in Berlin uh, Dario what did uh, you make up uh, Barry, what did you make of their season? I think they lived up to their dark horse billing, didn't they? They really did. I mean, obviously the Mercedes EQ powertrain in the back of, of the Venturi. Um, Jerome D'Ambrosio brought in as deputy team principal by Susie Wolf, which is a really smart move. Um, and they just looked more organised and a sharper organisation from the from the start of the season. Um, Edo Martara, I mean, that that issue in, in Saudi when he had that huge shunt in practice, couldn't start the race. Um, that was, that was a sore one. I mean, that was a big, big accident. Um, Puebla, he looked <laughs> again, unbeatable in that second race there. And then it all, you know, he was in the, in, in the running, looking, looking for the championship. And, you know, when he ran, Mitch didn't go at the start of the last race and he hit him up the back of another huge shunt. Um, I'm glad the the damage wasn't worse um, to him. But I, I think we've now seen Edo Martara. We talked about him. He's mercurial. He's all these things. We saw a consistent, fast, uh, very competitive uh, Formula E driver, which is different maybe than a normal racing driver, if you know what I mean. But for the whole season, I was super impressed with Edo Martara. Um, Norman Nato, I, mean, I think he's going to feel hard done by, isn't he? You know, he won. He won the last race, but by that point, the the, the deal was already signed to to put Lucas Degrassi in the second Venturi. And I understand. I mean, it's Lucas Degrassi. You know, you're going to get the chance to to sign him up. Um, you're probably going to take it uh, because of all the things he brings. And but if 
I, I feel for for Norman that um, you know is, is he going to be is he going to end up doing the reserve driver role there, which uh, maybe if he does it for a year because I I, uh, I hear that Lucas is going somewhere else for the for the following season already. But um, I, I love the we're already looking forward with the uh, with the gossip and the massive it we we've been speculating this for a while. I, I think it's uh, it's good gossip, isn't it? Oh yeah. Others and I think there's some basis of fact in there. I don't know, um, don't know properly. And of course, he's managed by Julian Jacobi. Julian is, and I'm managed by Julian Jacobi, and have been for twenty over twenty five years. Julian doesn't say much about his other clients to his other clients. So, anyway, that will remain a mystery. But I feel for Norman. Um, you know, he, he first proper full season in Formula. He just it was very inconsistent, which you could say for a lot of the field because of the qualifying format. But he got into a lot of scraps that he probably didn't need to get into. Um, but that last win was, I think, that showed the quality of the of the driver. I expect him back in twenty twenty three in uh, Venturi Race Seat. I hope it sort of defies the old adage that you're only as good as your last race because he's not as good as his last race, is he? He's considerably better. <laughs> good point, um, Sam. There was a as as Dario said, um, it was the first properly consistent season that we'd seen from Mortara. In Formula E, but in more ways than one, because he started it, uh, ended up in hospital, and and he ended it uh, being taken off for uh, medical checks as well. Yeah, I mean, he was really lucky and unlucky. I mean, lucky to get away with, particularly the duration was awful. You know, I mean, that could have been really horrible. I mean, it was bad enough for him. He was on his back for about two weeks afterwards, recuperating. So, thankfully, you know, he was able to uh, not miss a race. And then, ironically. He, he was in the wrong time, the wrong place in Berlin as well. And I, those two shunts had absolutely zero to do with him. So he's just the worst kind of luck. And, and ultimately, probably combined, you'd have to say, cost him a very strong chance of, of taking the title this season. I thought Mortara was much improved in 2021. He says, when you speak to him, he says that, you know, he's just the same driver. I mean, racing drivers always say that. And, you know, they're partly right. But... Something there must have been subtle differences in the way that he went racing, even if he doesn't maybe know them himself. If they were kind of you know sort of semi semi conscious in terms of applying them, but his capabilities are very strong. I just sensed a calmer, uh, a, a, a driver that looked at the bigger picture a lot more this season. Uh, it'd be fascinating to see how he goes uh, next season when he he has to adjust and cope with a a new teammate, an aggressive teammate, a, a knowledgeable, intelligent teammate who has won a championship, who's won a lot more races than him in Formula, Formula E. Because up until now... And who, will, and who will make it his point to get into his head, right? That's what Lucas does. He, he, he doesn't just try and do it on track. He'll do it off track of, as well. Of course he does. And he does it in the most effective way, which, you know, he does it very passive aggressively and very subtly. I mean, that's that's part and parcel of Lucas Degrassi, which, you know, it depends what you think about that. I think it's a, a really interesting, fascinating way of, of going racing. And I think most top professionals, and I'm sure Dario's done this in the past as well, uh, that's what no, they no, do. No, 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 <laughs> never, never. Of course not, of course not. Um, so he's had, you know, if you look at the teammates that Mortara's had before, Mauro Engel, Felipe Massa and, uh, and Normski, Norman Nato, you know, really good drivers, really strong drivers, but placid in their own way. So this is going to be a, a, a bit of a shock for him, but he's experienced enough to to deal with it, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how all that pans out. 
Dario, at BMW I Andretti, we saw, I think, one of the most impressive. Oh, look at that. Dario's just showing his uh, beautiful JPS mug there. Is there anything in there, Dario? Are you putting the kettle on? Are we all, are we all going to have a, um, a mid-pod brew? We could. It's not a bad show. If only we could do that virtually. Um, anyway, yes, at BMW I Andretti, I think we saw arguably the most impressive rookie season to date from Jake Dennis. Uh Again, another driver had some serious bad luck in that um, finale at Berlin. But what did you make of that season, uh, Dario? Uh, yeah, well, let's go back to the before the season. We were all saying, oh, you know, Max Gunter, this is it. This is, oh, watch now, he's going to, you know, this is amazing. And then you look at what Jake Dennis had done recently, and you think, oh, he's different GT cars and sort of bounced around a bit. Um, as actually old Scott Dixon said to me, um, he'd been teammates with Jake at uh, Bathurst 12 hour and he said he said I'm telling you what mate he said this kid's good he's proper and uh, Dixon was right I mean from the right from the start I just thought he was he was you know yeah the results didn't come till a couple of three races in but the pace was there and then it just he just was able to pull results out when the you know the qualifying format was maybe against him. Um, he everything about it, even the way he went racing, the, his attitude to stuff is just brilliant, you know. And winning in London was 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 cool. He got a couple of podiums. I was so impressed with Jake Dennis, and pressure didn't seem to affect him at all. You know, the the the, the, the issue at the last race was not is making and yeah big big fan of the way he goes racing big fan of him as a driver and i hope uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens next year um oh, max gunter it was a it's a hit or miss season wasn't it and uh quite quite literally he hit a lot of stuff so inconsistent and i don't know how much of that's him how much of that was the pressure he was under looking for a drive um what was going on there but you know the win in new york i think it was but Apart from that, it was a really just crazy season. And when you look back to, to points in the season before, you would have picked him as a championship favourite. Um, the pace was clearly in the, the BMW car powertrain. Um, the Andretti team did a good job running it. Uh, but yeah, it just didn't didn't come together for him at all. Um, and he's going to have to seriously, uh, at Nissan next year, he's going to have to, to rebound uh, in, a, in a hurry. It could be interesting to see how the team goes next year. Um, obviously, everything's locked in with the homologation of the of the powertrain, but you know, with BMW being out of the picture, how's how's that going to affect things? Sam, as Dario mentioned, there, like Gunter, you know, it's very easy. I'm going to nick it from you, you know, Gunter the shunter. Um, what did you make of his hit, hit or miss campaign, and how and how how's he going to turn that around before he goes to Nissan? Yeah, you know, I think uh, he's he's a superb, intelligent kid. Is 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 Max, and he will know. He he will be a bit disappointed, to say the least, on on his campaign overall, um, especially the fi- final points tally in relation to his teammate who was a who was a rookie. Um, but again, I think he's still a really potent weapon to have for any former E team. You know, some people I spoke to in the last few weeks have opined to me that. He's quite lucky to get another drive, but I actually don't see it that way. I think, you know, he's won three Epris. Now, try and get this in your head. That's one more than Robin Frines and Mitch Evans, 
have achieved. And I don't hear anyone questioning their drives or their roles in Formula E. Yes, consistency is an issue for for Gunter, but when he you know when he gets the opportunity, he delivers. Like in New York, you know, he, he probably shouldn't have won that race. Vern should have won that race. And and John Eric got a little bit impatient and and made that move on Cassidy and and Max um, capitalised. So if you want somebody who's got the experience of converting chances, then Gunter's right up there. So why wouldn't you look at him? And I think with the Nissan drive, there were various options uh, around. And I think Nissan spent some time chasing Alex Albon, who obviously then has got another chance in Formula One. But when it came to somebody um, who who could prove that they win, then you know there was probably two drivers around, and there was Alex Lynn and and, and Max Gunter, and and Alex has gone off to do different things. Um, so Max, you know, I think I think I wouldn't fancy going up against Max in qualifying as well. I think he's really strong in qualifying. Yes, he's slightly on the edge, but if he irons that out, then I think like Verline, you've got somebody there who's you know, really, really potent and, and can deliver the goods. How old is he, Sniffer? Max, I think he's 20-something uh, absolutely atrocious. 20-something. Like 20 20, <laughs> 23, 24 yeah. maybe. Maybe but he's 24 you, now. But you talk to him and it's like, even a couple of years ago when he first came to the series, you talked to him and it was like talking to a 30-year-old, you know, very, yes. very well put together out of the car. Max. And on on the radio he's 24 by the way he's 24 24 he's amazing on the radio if you listen to his radio channel it's clipped to the point very little emotion you remember that race at Santiago's first race win when he was having that ding dong with Da Costa and they were going into the last lap and Da Costa was having the thermal issues and he got his strategy a bit wrong or whatever Gunter was like you know he may as he was like in a sort of um chilled out late 80s wine bar listening to Sade albums or something. He was just absolutely chilled to the bone. Very, very impressive. Sade, uh, we really are nailing it for the next gen of uh, fans here, aren't we? It's, uh... um, so Virgin Racing, or sorry, Envision Virgin Racing, uh, who are next up, actually went into the Berlin finale leading the points and ended up fifth. And nothing, I think, demonstrates quite how tight and volatile this year's championship was than that. But this, for an independent team, Dario, they still comfortably punch above their weight, don't they? They, they do. They do, absolutely. And uh, with the Audi powertrain in the back, um, definitely got its advantages. Uh, with you know, cost and the fact that you're maybe not, you know, you're not having to get involved in that development part of it. But they, yeah, they, they continue to do such a good job there. Uh, Sylvain Felipe runs a good ship. Um, very weird season, though. I mean, I thought, again, Nick Cassidy was another <laughs> fantastic uh, addition to the driver lineup. Just that sort of laid back Kiwi. And um, <clears throat> yeah, there's, there's a bit of a he said, she said about him, you know, qualified in Poland, Rome, and went off at the first corner. And he said there was something wrong with the car. And other people say, no, it was his mistake. Anyway, Nick Cassidy was, he was really good couple of visits to the podium uh, I enjoyed watching the way he raced Robin Freins I mean the consistent <laughs> Robin Freins we didn't see that coming either he was very consistent stayed in the hunt all the way through the championship didn't win a race did not win a race though he was he I think I get the impression with Robin he knew or he learned where he was weak and in, in, in his sort of inconsistencies and he works really hard at it 
and had a you know I had a I had a good uh, I thought a good campaign and um, just uh, not quite the it just needs to build just need those high spots again that we've seen from him in the past and keep the consistency. The consistency almost worked against him though, didn't it? Because he spent almost the entire seasons in groups one and two. So, and, and how many times did he make up loads of positions, but to finish where? Ninth, 10th, 11th? And you, you get no reward for that, for what was on, was actually a really good drive. Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of boom or bust, wasn't there? There was a lot of guys the, 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 up in group four and stuff and they'd have one good result, punch them up there and then back out of it, punch them back up. Yeah, old Robin was in there, as you say, he was in group one early, always the bad track conditions, and that made life difficult for him. Um, obviously, that will all change next season with the, with the new qualifying format. Sam, we had uh, Nick Cassidy on this show earlier in the season. He was a great guest um, and incredibly punctual. I think I should uh, put, point that out. He was the, it, uh, unbelievable. Uh, anyway, um, what did you make of his season? Um <sighs> I spoke to him a few weeks ago. He, he was he was a little bit disappointed um, with his points haul, I think, and just how how much he probably didn't quite capitalise on some good positions. And I, you know, I'd, I'm not saying that was completely his fault. There was a lot of dramatic circumstances that he had to deal with in his his rookie season. But you know, he finished in fifteenth place in the points table. Yeah, he was twelve points away from Jake Dennis in third place. I mean, it's a bit nuts, really, isn't it? When you when you sort of absorb that statistic, he's he's a terrific character. I really like him. You know, Dario mentioned the the laid back uh, Kiwi. I, I, he's just a very f- funny. I, I just really enjoy talking to him, and uh, he's but he's he's actually very considerate in what he says. And, and what he told us was that he did feel a little bit disappointed, and and on the whole, I thought. He was strong. He struggled a little bit in the first race, but then it sort of came together in the second. And then in Rome, he was super strong. And he probably should have had two poles. He made a mistake on the Saturday and then took pole with favourable track conditions with with some weather on the Sunday. And, you know, had that spin and then got sucked into the fray and, and got biffed off by by Roland. It was kind of welcome to Formula E. You know, it's a proper school of hard knocks. But... I, I thought he had a, a a really strong first season, but ultimately, you know, he he will be compared to fellow rookie Jake Dennis in a way, which is probably probably a little unfair. Um, he still had some really strong races at Puebla. He got his first podium after crashing and rooting his tub on the Saturday, and then he had a really strong um, London race as well, where he got some good points, but wasn't really shining at the front. But uh, felt that he had one of his best races there. So, yeah, very strong. I think the big question mark, though, for next season is a little bit like with, with Jake Dennis and with Andretti is, yes, they've still got the same powertrain because it's homologated and is set. But, of course, their supplier isn't there at the track. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt to that situation and if they can still be as competitive as they they were for most of the season, all bar the last hurdle in uh, in Berlin. Yeah, as you mentioned, Sam, it's uh, Audi swan song in the series. They've been in one form or another there since the beginning, um, and you know a championship winning team and and responsible really for that for the growth of Formula E into the World Championship it's become. But Dario, do you think they'll um, rue the early season lack of reliability and results that ultimately prevented them for going out on a bigger high than than fourth in the championship? Well, yeah, I think you can always look back and see where you should have you should have improved hindsight. Uh... You know, 2020, isn't it? You just know one thing. You know that McNish and the whole 
Audi team were at that point shoveling as fast as they could, trying to you know to get things uh, get things back on an even keel. To to see Lucas winning in Berlin, that was I, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that because um, it was a good race, first of all, great race. But and I can't believe I'm saying this. Um, I think Alan McNish and the Audi. Well, I can't say I can't believe I'm saying this about Alan McNish. First of all. They, he was such a great addition to Formula E. He was so he was just box office from as a team principal, um, and the, the Audi team from day one, and the the Audi the app boys everything pure class. Um, even I mean, when, who could forget him running up the inside at London trying to overturn the? Uh, <laughs> that's one of the moments of the season for me. He, he, well, I think that was a, a turning point for Alan too because he realised how unfit he was. And then he started a, uh, a what's the word a training regime afterwards. It might have had something to do with a certain member of my family pointing out that he, he might have had a little gut going on in a certain picture too. Anyway, he became a lot fitter after that. Apparently, Brutal. I heard the the story from Alex Lynn saying that he's driving around under safety car, and he sees Alan absolutely pegging it down to the the uh, the steward's office, and he's figured out what's going on. So he's said now. Sort of screaming at the Mahindra guys, get McNish out of the Stewart's office. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that it was. Of course, they want they want to win. They absolutely want to win there, but it didn't. Uh, it didn't all come together, did it? And um, we'll miss them in Formula E. We'll miss we'll miss Audi. They've been a great part of it. Um, Lucas moving on. It's going to be so interesting to see how he goes at Venturi because. He's been with the same team, different names, whatever. But he's been with the same team since day one. Um, Rennie Rast. I mean, I, I say it a lot, but he's a guy that sort of figures out how to win in anything. And you could say the top. I'm just looking at the numbers here. I mean, there's so many. Like your your stat there um, about Nick Cassidy and how close he was to the front of the championship sniffer. It was there were so many good good sort of tales this year and people that were in contention to actually win the championship going into the Berlin doubleheader. I thought Rennie Rast was again just a phenomenal job this season. I like the way he goes racing. Um, he's a good character. He's going to go and drive for their their LMDH team now with Audi. Um, was the king of fastest laps. <laughs> you know he, he he made those his own. But um, yeah, this I guess this series will be poorer without. Uh, Without him, without Audi, and without uh, without McNish. Sam, it's true, isn't it? You know, Audi's legacy in Formula E is is enormous, and that does actually create a, a genuine hole in the series. Yeah, it does, and they'll be missed. Um, I just reiterate what um, what Dario said about Alan, and obviously Rene Rast. I think is a big miss for the for the championship. You're not in any uh, position to comment on uh, Alan's waistline. <laughs> well, uh, do you know what? The last time I saw Alan run that quickly was when he was running away from the Lola T9150 <laughs> um, in 1991, which almost finished his career, but thankfully didn't. Um, nah, it's just a great roller coaster story, Audis. We, I, I did a story the week after Berlin, just chronicling some of the the sort of peaks and troughs of their season. And you know, you think about the apt disqualification in Hong Kong, which was. Audi's first official race as a factory team back in season four, the massive highs of winning in Berlin twice and and that epic victory in um, Mexico City in 2019, the the ridiculousness of the apt gate um, 
um, race at home thing, uh, which, you know, we sick to death of talking about last year weren't we uh Rene Rass impressive races as Dario attested ultimately you know when when it's broken down that one title from four seasons as a, as a factory entity will not have satisfied Audi and, and certainly not not Alan McNish but still you know they had a they had a reasonable strike rate um I'd love to see them back because they're real racers as Dario said and, and they bring such a great great deal of um, competitiveness and just the way that they go racing ultra professional I think out of the three that are leaving the three big OEMs German OEMs from a pure sporting point of view I believe they'll be missed the most um, and, and let's hope it's you know let's hope it's not long term let's hope there's a um, another chapter for, for Audi and Formula E sometime in the future yeah, I'd just like to say as well, obviously I was working at Formula E for those first three seasons and they were they were brilliantly proactive as well in helping to um, boost the championship, always willing to get involved and, and promote it. And they, they were they were really, really nice, good people to work with uh, and to have around. So uh, personally, I think they'll, they'll, they're a big miss to the series. I think possibly the hardest uh, team season to unpick, Dario, is the most successful in the team's history and that's Diaz Chitita. There were victories, but it never didn't ever seem to gel in quite the same way that the previous campaigns had. I'm going to leave the the team politics bit to Sniffer on this one because he's been uh, he's been investigating. It's very odd. Very. I mean, we started the season in Saudi with uh, Antonio and Jeb getting smashing into each other um, again, and we thought, oh dear. Um, but they actually looked fairly competitive. Um, at that point, I think they're another outfit that thought that the new powertrain was going to give them that step up, and it actually did the opposite. It looked like they just never quite got the hang of it, and never more in certain in race running for whatever reason, whether it was using its tires more, it was less efficient. Um, I don't know. There's a school of thought. There was actually it seems there was two school of thoughts with the powertrains this year. There was the ones who were doing more lifting and coasting and less regen and there was another school of thought with no lifting and coasting and massive regen which obviously um uses the tires up a bit more so i'm not sure which side they they ran on but um we, we put such high expectations on DaCosta and jeb and uh it just uh it, again i think some of that has got to you know the qualifying format it's very difficult to be consistent um but with with the winning the cost of winning the last championship, Jeff two before that, and the team <laughs> winning the you know the the last couple of uh, team championships, we expected uh, I expected a lot more, and it just didn't uh, it didn't come. Sam, where are, are you in your investigations? Are we saying anything, or are we uh, going stum on that? And do you want to go down a different route? Well, no, because I think actually they they had a, an impact on Diesta Cheetah's season. I think if you if you drill down to some of the personnel in that team, they would admit it. I, it's interesting in the cold light of day to ask whether these issues of investment and the business side of the team affected it, but I I just ultimately think they did. I mean, the, the, there was a stage before the first race in Berlin when they looked like they were going to claw their way back into another title fight but it, it just didn't work out uh, they, they sort of tied themselves in knots in that first Berlin race when they probably should have should have got a one-two uh, you know the short-term future now looks better than it did six to eight weeks ago that's when the investment 
from Anthony Diorio um, collapsed and and put into a lot of questions about the long term future of the team. Um, you know, we we believe that DS is stepping up a bit more in two thousand and twenty two, and there there are still major question marks still beyond that into into Gen three, I think. But I think a lot of that will become known pretty soon between now and, and Valencia, possibly. Vernon de Costa will be retained for twenty twenty two. I'm pretty certain of that and so is the team they i think by no means certain six weeks ago that that certainly that that was going to be the case it was that serious i think in terms of the um the structure of the team and whether seeker were, were, was were going to find an investor and, and then what how ds were positioning themselves with that team you know it took some intervention from from people in formerly e as well to try and sort everything out and it, and it was salted out the hope is that solutions will be found through new investments still, um, and that this fantastic team will will continue to take success. I think you know they're, they're talented, they're shrewd. There's some great people in there. You know, uh, guys like Leo Thomas on the technical side. Um, you know, N- Nigel Beresford, all the experience and attention to detail that, that he brings to the team is you know is is fantastic they they also suffered an awful tragedy a couple of weeks ago when uh, Pascal Tortosa uh, Jean-Eric Verne's former engineer um died very suddenly um it was a big big hit emotional hit for the team and you know I think I think from now on um once they get back on track and they they start to to rebuild a little bit for this final gen 2 season uh, and with the qualifying and the race format changes and all the experience and all the good stuff that they have within the teams if they can have this stability next season then i see them being still a, a really strong threat for, for for a title challenge again but you know they they have to do some more work on that that new package that new ds package too so um yeah looking a lot better than it was two months ago but i i think we can I think we can say that the black and gold will continue to be at the the sharp end of the of the grids and the race results next season. Just just one thing there, you, I've sort of bemoaning the results and they didn't do what we expected and everything, but they finished third in the points, fifteen points behind Mercedes EQ, who won the championship. So I think it just shows how big our expectations were for the for for the team, um, and yeah. That 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 your expectations sometimes can can drag you down a bit, but um, I, everything Sam said about the, the the potential going forward and the people in the team and everything, I totally reiterate that they are a they are a punchy little outfit. One one name I forgot to mention in that that sort of mini list of people was James Rossiter, who's the the sporting sporting manager of the team or sporting director, I forget which, but you know he um I think he brings a hell of a lot. To, to that team and you know friend of the show and everything but I've noticed in the last couple of seasons he's he's really sort of stepped up in terms of his role which was not informal he was always part of the team but it's become a bit more solidified I think in the, in the last year certainly. I think season seven was the <clears throat> season seven was the year where Jaguar finally delivered on the promise that most people were expecting when they joined the series uh, five years ago. Do you think they've they've now found their level Dario and they can go on and be regular contenders for the for the championships from here. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think the signing of Sam Bird was a big is a big deal. That 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 showed in, intent. I think, and I'm sure it wasn't cheap to to get Sam's signature on a contract. 
Um, but that showed what they were. They were there to win. And they were right in contention, weren't they? Right up until the lights went out in Berlin race two. And um, I mean, just talk first of all, talk talk about Mitch Evans. He's qualifying in 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 race two in Berlin. He did to me that was like, oh, he's done it. He's done what he needed to do there. He's he's gone from group one and he's oh, he's he's right where he needs to be, and everybody else who's competing against hadn't and I thought oh this is <laughs> he's put himself in the position to win this championship and you know as as Jack would say as we go green lights out or green lights on boom and I think it was an inverter issue and that was it and I felt dreadful for him because uh, he'd done a great job this year you know he, he recovered well from the mistake he made in New York he just pushed too hard and 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 he was pretty gutted after that, but recovered well. Um, so Mitch Evans was, yeah, really came of, I think, came of age this year in Formula E. And I look for big things from him. Uh, I want to say about Sam Bird. He just, he continues to to do what uh, what needs to be done. If, it comes, if he qualifies badly, he punches through the field. Um, you got, you know, the, him and the, the Alex Lynn and him, him squabble in Saudi was a bit unnecessary from both. Both of their sides, I think, but I think they both learned from that one. Um, but then he went straight out, won the race the next day. Um, but again, with Sam, it's like you had that, he tubbed the car. New York, wasn't it? He tubbed the car and they rebuilt, the Jaguar team rebuilt the car. They did a phenomenal job, went out, won the race the next day. So um, I think, I don't think you can ever look at, uh, thinking for next year, you can never look at a Formula E championship and not include Sam. Um, and I think Jaguar have given him and Mitch Evans the tools to fight for the for the for the Formula E Championship next year. And I think I think James Barkley, that whole team have have have, have come of age. Sam, you've got the platform now. Are you going to uh, apologise to Jaguar for writing them off uh, pre-season? <laughs> That's a bit harsh. <laughs> uh, you have the opportunity to say no. I, I'll address that elephant in the room later. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I just Sam Bird. I mean, uh, uh, going into a new team isn't easy, even with his experience. And I thought, you know, the that was one or two messy races, I suppose, like everyone, and some poor reliability spoiled things a little bit at the end. But ultimately, he brought to Jaguar exactly what they wanted and, and invested in a driver who would convert opportunities into into wins and points big points so despite the, the crucial reliability issues Evans in New York and, and Berlin as Dario said and then also Sam Bird stopped in Berlin didn't he in race one they they had on paper the, the, their best season to date so mission, mission accomplished on that one but Bird obviously wants more. He wants that title. He wants it more than anything. And the, and the main thing I got from speaking to him in, in 21 was that he knows now with Jaguar he can he can achieve that. That's not to say that Virgin wasn't, Envision Virgin wasn't capable of, of giving him a car to, to challenge for a title because he did that in season four, of course, when he was up against Vern. But I just think with Jaguar, he just has that extra little bit of confidence and he generally matched his teammate in races and was just three points away from Evans in the in the final points. But the key, we did have the upper hand a bit in qualifying, and I think qualifying the qualifying format change um, probably leveled that out a little bit between the two Jaguar drivers next season. 
why did I doubt Jaguar wouldn't be a force from the very start of 2021? Now, I didn't write them off, E2B. That is harsh and actually is a downright fib from you. So using journalistic licensing. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know what it was. I actually looked back and I think what it was was that they had a slightly underwhelming Valencia test last November from my notes, from my exhaustive notes that I make about those long test days, as you know, you know what I'm paid for, V2B. Um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, well, I'll profusely apologise to Messrs. Barclay, Eckerall, Charles, whoever, um, because they were on it from the start. Sam Bird won the second race. Um, and they would have been deserving of, of taking the, the trophy if it hadn't been for that. That uh, that issue, that inverter issue that Mitch had on the start line in Berlin. So yeah, they they had their their best season, and and it was good to see. I think when when Jaguar win, there is a there is an overall feel good factor, isn't there, because of their their history in the sport. So um, uh, yeah, I, I I see them as being again genuine title contenders in twenty two as well. I'm going to stick up for Sniffer here because after those early tests I mean I was watching the times and everything at home and it didn't look good and there was talk of of um generation one formula e cars with latest powertrains doing laps at all times of day and night at, at uh one of their test venues so I don't know I, I I was pleasantly surprised when they when they were competitive from the from the off but I can get where Sniffer was coming from. Their answer, actually, I asked them about the the testing. Their answer to the testing is that they were using the Gen 1 cars for young driver analysis, um, which uh, I believe they were sometimes. Um, So that leaves us to the top of the tree, Mercedes-Benz EQ. Dario, when you look back over the entirety of the season, there's no doubt they were ultimately the best teams and and a worthy champion. Uh, 100% agree with you. From the from the first race, it almost had that sort of uh oh look. I thought in uh, in Saudi, but then Formula E did Formula E stuff, and the rest of the season was a complete lottery. Uh, but they were Mercedes' performance was good all season long. Um, a lot of hit or miss though. It was like it was quick, but DNF Group One qualifying, qualify at the back, DNF. So I mean, Nick De Vries was either it was like podium or. What does it call it? Checkers or wreckers a lot of times, but he's he's a class week driver. You could say oh, there's a, there were so many des- people would have been deserving champions, and Nick DeVries is absolutely on that list. And he he uh, he got it done. Yeah, he uh, and he showed his his, his toughness, and um, yeah, that was that was really impressive from him. Um, on the other side of things, I mean Stoffel. Yeah, again ninth place. What was it? What was it? 82 points, jeez, I mean, 17 points back at the end of the season, but he's in ninth. But Stoffel was, he was right there, wasn't he? He was. He could have got all of those points back if he'd just been a bit more pragmatic when Lotterer came diving down inside of him at Rome. Yeah, it's but it's easy to say that, isn't it? It's, it's all heat at the moment. You're making decisions so quickly in the blink of an eye. And I think it's, yeah, he he made he made the decision he made. So, um, as a group, I mean, it's a good group of people. They kind of you think about Mercedes, you think of this sort of big organization. Um, there's a lot of cool people in that team, a lot of really cool individuals, nice people. For me and James Down, um, I've always found them really pleasant to deal with, um, and they were worthy champions. There was a really cool, there was a really cool part. Um, 
and that was when they were celebrating as much with Norman Natto winning as they were for Nick De Vries winning the championship. And I thought that was cool to see them all up there. Um, That's a lovely touch. It was a lovely touch. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to seeing what they can do next year. They've, they've got the old target on their back, haven't they? Um, but worthy champions, absolutely. Sam, we had uh, Nick on the podcast that's probably a month ago now. Our time is absolutely flying by. At the time, he was being linked with an F1 drive. Obviously, Albon ultimately got that Williams seat. Do you think his head will be turned, or is he just going to be as focused as ever on defending that championship? Oh, very much the latter. I don't think Nick De Vries' head is turned on anything apart from winning. Um, he's a he's a natural-born winner. He's clinical. He's um, He learns. He's level-headed. You know, they went through a trough in mid-season from the second Valencia race to the second New York race. Um, they scored eight points in six races. I mean, we, when you look at the points table, it's it's surreal because you look at that and you think, well, there's no way that they're going to win the title. Um, but then they go on this, you know, particularly Nick in London, who I thought was his strongest weekend. I thought he was imperious in London even though he didn't win a race he accrued the points that eventually won him the the title you'd have to say but you know you look at um the only team this is a good start the only team oh sorry the team that has scored the most points consistently in terms of the amount in the 15 rounds that they what that they score points in so they scored 13 times from 15 races the only team to achieve that this season was Porsche and they finished eighth in the standings. So it's hard to get your head around how the final table came about. But I think it says a lot about Mercedes, how they recovered from that trough. And, you know, part of our job is to ask the questions, hard questions to to drivers and to team team principals, which, you know, I did in, in New York, I think, when they were on the, you know, the, the top end of that trough, that they'd scored eight points in six races. And Ian James was, it wasn't just PR baloney, you know, it was thoughtful, considered words about how his team have to completely focus on turning that around and having the confidence that they would be able to turn that around. Yes, they had the hardware. Yes, they had the drivers. Yes, they had the team. But sometimes in Formula E, that's not enough, which is kind of why we love Formula E, because it's so unpredictable. I think this year it was slightly... You know, it kind of went into the red. It over-revved a bit on the unpredictability just as a spectacle. But I think it's fine for one season. I don't think it's sustainable for multiple seasons. And I think Mercedes EQ Formula E team dragged it back. And from London onwards, um, they put themselves back into the box seat. I think, yes, they certainly had the most... They had the best all-round package in terms of the powertrain. And... You know, we haven't got the accounts, but we presume that they are spending, you know, impressively to achieve this success. But still, as I said, in Formula E, you can't just rely on that. Um, there are so many factors involved. And I think De Vries was the kind of the at, at the top of his game. And I just think he delivered exceptionally well and fully deserves his title. But a quick mention for Van Dorn, as Dario did, Van Dorn was desperately unlucky. You know, if it wasn't for that London, you're getting, getting uh, the... Uh, the Roland, the the Roland uh, Express um, up his chuff in in London. I think he would have been in the in the in the running as well. And I think I think Van Dorn will come back with a bit of extra motivation to to redress the balance next season. Great, good stuff. And that sort of brings the wrap of this season um, 
to an end. But obviously, it's Formula E, so there's always something else coming uh, down the pipeline. And we had the announcement um, at the time of recording earlier this week about the the new qualifying format. Every guest that we've had on this show, every driver in particular, has bemoaned that qualifying system. I think when it was first introduced, the random element it brought in did a great job in spicing up that, that championship. But I think we all felt that by the end, it probably out lived its usefulness and it meant certainly from your perspective Dario when you're commentating you know, the people at the front who were winning the races had no role in the championship fight and you were looking down the timing screens and talking about things that we were rarely seeing on the screen so Sam can you sort of outline the new qualifying system and how it works and Dario when he's done that give us your thoughts on how you think it will play out in the championship yeah, I mean, if if we were to do it in detail, I'd probably need uh, Rachel Riley and Susie Dent from uh, Countdown to to do it. So I'll give you the I'll give you the basic framework. Um, two two groups of eleven drivers will have ten minutes uh, where they have to set uh, two times in their in their respective groups. Uh, the quickest time, the quickest four times from each group will then go through to a quarterfinal stage. Um, so four. One session of four and another session of four. The top two from those will go through to a semi-final stage, uh, and then ultimately the top performers in that session will go through to a uh, what is called a duel or a shootout duel, which will be um, which will then um, will then reward the the pole sitter who sets the, the fastest lap. Um, the, the actual makeup of the grid is slightly more complicated with with odd and even um, appropriations of the the grid slot. Um, from there on in, but that's uh, that's for us to drill down and, and understand probably at the first race when everyone's doing their doing their um, their calculations. But no, I mean it's it, it actually looks it actually looks more complicated than it is, and I I think what it will do is it will give a fairer system for a high for a uh, an attainment or a hierarchy perspective. I think like we touched on before, the the smaller guys. We'll find it more difficult to break through into the top. What we're talking top eight, let's say quarterfinal stage, will be more difficult to get to, which you know you can sort of assimilate to what the Super Bowl was with the top six in a way last year. So, I think what it'll bring is, I think it'll actually bring more public or TV interest into it. I think they can, you know, they can they can gloss it up and and polish it a bit, and it can be quite a nice TV spectacle. And I think there'll be. I see the dual aspect of being quite interesting for, for, for the commentators to, to get their teeth into and for us as the media. Uh, and I think that'll, that'll sort of reflect on what it'll bring to the TV viewers as well. It was obviously a reaction to a few things. I think primarily uh, the fact of the random nature. I think it, it just got so random with the, the group, the four groups that it, it penalized the, um, the, 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 let's say the top performers um, or the people at the sharp end of the points too much, and and that really was just a legacy of the third year of the rule set and everybody concertinering up. So you had uh, less disparity between between the eleven or twelve as it was last season teams. Um, yeah, I think it'll be. I actually, I, I'm pretty confident about it. I think it'll be it'll be really good. There'll be an adjustment phase, but I think people will get it pretty quickly. Um, and I think bringing an added dynamic to a Formula E weekend, or sorry, a Formula E day will be, will be really interesting and it'll develop stories with the tyres, with pit stops during the, the group sessions and, and various other things too. Dario, looking forward to it? Yeah, I am. 
I I liked very much what Sam said. I liked the I like I liked the the group format for a while because it's oh anybody can win, and then as you put it, Andrew, who do we talk about? All of a sudden, you, you, just from a pure broadcaster point of view, it was so difficult to cover. Um, I I love the fact that everybody can everybody has a chance of winning, but you, it can't be so random, and it just got to that point. So hopefully this addresses um. This addresses that drivers teams will always, especially drivers, will always complain about whatever systems in place. Um, but yeah, it got to the the very difficult, uh, the very difficult point um, towards the end of last year. Um, one concern in the new format, um, maybe I've missed something. So you've got the two groups of eleven. Um, aren't we just going to find everybody going out at the last minute again because the track conditions will be at their best and it's going to be a traffic jam of 11 cars because you don't want to use your tyres because you only get uh, you know six tyres for a Formula E day or maybe two sets for a for a double header weekend. So what do you, how does that work? Have I missed something? No, it's, it's still going to be a, uh, an issue. You know, there's still going to be, I mean, there's, there's enhanced traffic now, isn't there? You know, you're talking about a group of 11 as opposed to previously a group of six. Well, so We've never had that many cars on track in a Formula E qualifying session and all the different formats they've ever had. Yeah. I think the thinking behind it is with, with just two with just two groups, there is, you know, the, the, the evolution of the track is going to be is going to be slightly less. So it should, it should be fairer to that extent. I mean, it'll never be fair unless you let, you know, you give them 20 minutes and just go, go for it. I mean, that's the ultimate in fairness. But yeah, it needs to be a bit more than that, doesn't it? You need to have a system. I mean, interestingly, um, a, a super formula, which I know, I don't know, V2B, were you involved in that? I can't remember. I never went to a race. Super League, super League formula. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Super League formula. Yeah, it's a very, 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 very similar yeah. format to the one they have. Yeah, but but Birdie, uh, Birdie had quite a bit to, to do with this. He He sort of suggested something... Which had you know seventy five percent similarity to what the FIA eventually eventually took. So it's good to see actually that that drivers' opinions. Who'd have thought it? Eh, drivers' who, opinions who'd actually have <laughs> that they uh, that they would have been taken on. But um, yeah, I they could have had various things. They looked at various systems. They simulated various things. But this was uh, described to me by somebody at the. At Formula E, uh, as the most dynamic and uh, media friendly, meaning that you know they need to they need to push up the TV um, ratings for qualifying because they, you know, naturally every more people tune into the race. But I think it will get away. It will make sure manufacturers and partners, you know, don't tune in or don't have a debrief after the races and go to the go to the team. Well, you know, why are we investing all this money? and research and development and doing all this work and putting multi-million pounds into a championship when we're qualifying 18th, when we should be qualifying, you know, in the top 10 and having a chance at a race victory. That's, I know for a fact that that is one of the reasons why BMW, um, not the reason, but one of the reasons that BMW uh, chose to, chose to leave Formula E. I mean, it was a contributing factor. Um, so yeah, you know, you'd say even for that reason, it's, it's got to be worth a try. From, from my experience of covering Super League, the original group stage, that 11 and 11 bit, will be amazing. And there'll be constantly people, co- the time's coming down little by little by little, and you won't know until, you know, the checker flag has absolutely dropped who's coming through. When you get to those head-to-head bits, when there are a few cars out there, one locked wheel 
one missed apex early in the lap and there's very especially if someone makes a big mistake as well and then there's no jeopardy there and that's and that's the worry especially when you only have two cars on track if one of them's half a second up through the first sector good luck with uh bringing that to life daria if um west lothian academicals got a team in did they have a team in super league formula uh, don't i don't remember, remember them no. no there were some contractual issues they were up for it oh brilliant I think um, that's been a fantastic uh, podcast Dario thank you very much for uh, your input before we go um, just a very impossible bit that um, Sam has put into the script for us to do here so that's your top five drivers of the season and moment of the season I'll start the ball rolling so you can't copy me so hard luck Uh, this is in no particular order but I'm going to go De Vries Evans Frines Dennis and Rast and my moment of the season being that the start and opening lap of Berlin. I have never seen a championship finale like it with three of the title contenders eliminated before a lap of running. I was watching it in Porsche Hospitality and it just, when you thought it got to the next level, there was another bit of uh, amazing um, development that just went on and on and on. So uh, who wants to get, Dario, I'll send you next so you can, so Sam will be really screwed to try and sign the original. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks for to be. Um, to pick five drivers is absolutely impossible here. You can either just look at the top five in the championship or even the top 15 in the championship that was all within a sort of a mathematical one-race victory of Nick De Vries at the top of the table. It was so close. There were so many outstanding moments throughout the year. And I just, it, it's it's almost, it's impossible to do it. Um, moment of the year, both were in the Monaco race. I can't pick between them. I thought Mitch Evans passed up the hill Round the outside, ultimately cost him victory because of energy usage and all that. That was absolutely beautiful. A great piece of racecraft um, and should have got some style points for the, towards the championship. Um, but then Antonio Felix de Costa put it all on the line, didn't he? Last lap, round the outside into the Nouvelle, Nouvelle chicane. And uh, he wanted the win at Monaco and he, he timed it to perfection. Those two just standout moments of the season to me and all happened within a couple of laps at Monaco. I think that's a great call because that race showed that Formula E could deliver something that Formula 1 never could around Monaco and that was an exciting race full of overtaking. Absolutely. Go on then, Sam. You wrote the question so I'm assuming you've got a pre-prepared answer. Yeah, there's there's a clause in it actually that says that I can choose 25 drivers. Um, uh, no, I mean, yeah, like Dario said, I mean, it's it's meaningless. There's there's a reason why I've not done a top ten drivers of the year on the site uh, since Berlin. Yeah, uh, Jake you Dennis. Don't want the grief, do you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I do. Yeah, there's little red laser dots on my forehead at races. Um, are, are getting more and more by the race. But no, Jake Dennis. Obviously, I thought it was terrific rookie season. Uh, De Vries, no brainer. Evans, consistency and um, unlucky not to to win the title. Uh, Mortara, I thought was was great considering that he essentially missed two races, uh, the first and last races, um, and, and you know the the fifth one it could be one of ten drivers, but I've gone with Van Dorn because I thought I thought Stoffel was uh, was really good this season and, and got the worst of the bad luck uh, probably along with Mortara. So they're my top five moments of the season. Again, could be a dozen, but I've gone ultimately for uh, Sam Bird in New York. I just thought, you know, wiping out and doing the tub, amazing job by Jaguar to get that thing ready. I mean, I, I, I was walked past there and 
literally every it seemed every person including the top brass were were helping out getting that car ready um and then he went and won the the race on the the sunday um and little aside from that was during the press conference um uh, Luke Shaw scored the opening goal versus Italy in the final in the in the on the big screen in the next room and I wrote down 1-0 Luke Shaw and flashed it to Sam as he was doing the press conference which I thought you know was fairly fairly novel and a great a great service to provide from myself so uh, yeah there you go <laughs> Well thanks Sam and thanks for um all of your great work over the season and comment on Formula E and for Dario too for bringing it to life for uh, the massive audience um we'll be back uh, ahead of the test in Valencia and obviously we'll be trying to fill the gap in between with some interesting special guests and stuff and don't forget to check out our other podcasts including Bring Back V10s. Dario, I know the answer but I'm going to ask you the question anyway. Fancy coming on to talk about your dreadful Jaguar uh, test at any point? Oh yeah. Oh oh, cool, I thought you were going to say no and hell no. <laughs> as long as we can swear, we'll be fine. Yeah. We, can, we have a bleep button. <laughs> no, we're not allowed to well, I could it. just put an explicit bit on yeah, it. I would do you. that. Yeah. Oh. yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, it's like therapy. <laughs> cool. I'll, I'll put I'll put you down then. I'll uh, I'll be in touch with a date on that one. That'll be uh, that'll be fun. Well, thank you very much, and we'll be back soon. And goodbye.